0: You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. So our scripture passage for this morning's message is Mark chapter 9, verses 19 through 29. Mark 9, 14 through 29. And I'll ask you this, to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. It goes like this. And when they came through the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately... All the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you that we serve a miracle-working God who brings life from death. And God, I pray that you would be present here among us this morning, that you would open your word to us, God, that your Holy Spirit would work on each heart and each mind, God, that we would hear and receive and believe not what we want, but what you have for us. Speak to us now. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. A boy possessed by a demon, a father at the end of his rope, an argumentative crowd, a group of confused and under-resourced disciples. And Miracle-Working Jesus, that's our cast of main characters for this morning. But as I was studying this week's text, the part of the story I could not get out of my brain was the very last verse, when Jesus explains to his disciples why they couldn't cast out the demon. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And I puzzled over that. And I wondered, so so here's the, the million-dollar question. If the disciples had had more faith, if they had prayed harder, prayer is just an audible expression of faith, if they had prayed harder, could they have cast out the demon themselves? In other words, if their faith would have been stronger, would Jesus have brought healing? Or we can kind of reframe it for us today. If, if we have enough faith, Will God answer our prayers favorably? And if he doesn't, does that mean I don't have enough faith? Enough faith. How much faith is enough faith? There's a song by Carmen, who was a huge CCM star back in the day. I borrowed my friend's Carmen CD. I still never gave it back to him. I've got it at home. But this song is called Faith Enough. And I want you to listen closely to these lyrics because it captures the worldview of many Christians today. He says, I want to tell you how you can go the extra mile. Come so far by faith, it's time to cross the finish line with style. Don't say it can't be done. You can do anything with God. There by your side, you're going to fly if you believe tonight. Storm down the doors. Tomorrow is yours. Say it long as you have faith enough. Pray through the night, you'll be all right. Say it long as you have faith enough. Key phrase here as long as you have faith enough. So basically, what he's saying is this he's saying, if you have enough faith, you can do anything, you're going to fly. You can storm down those doors. Nothing can stop you. Tomorrow is yours. Say it. Long as you have faith enough, everything is going to be all right. This kind of thinking is very prevalent within a disturbing number of Christian circles. You may have heard it before, but popularly it's known as name it, claim it, theology, or the prosperity gospel, and it is anything but harmless. In fact, it's incredibly dangerous because it promises earthly rewards and blessings in return for greater faith. As if God is some kind of divine candy dispenser who can only be activated by depositing enough prayers into the slot. So, like, whatever you want, if it's physical healing, if it's financial success, material blessing, all of that can be yours if you have faith enough. If you just believe and if you pray hard enough. Two years ago at Bethel Church, which is a famous megachurch in Redding, California, you may be familiar with this story. A terrible tragedy occurred. Two-year-old Olive Haligenthal... I believe I'm saying that right. The daughter of one of the worship leaders died unexpectedly in her sleep. Two years old. But the congregation didn't plan a funeral. Instead, they prayed for a miracle. They prayed for God to raise Olive from the dead. They started a movement, complete with a GoFundMe page and hashtag WakeUpOlive, asking Jesus to resurrect Olive, just like he did with so many of his others in the New Testament. The mother of the girl said this. She says, We are asking for bold, unified prayers from the global church to stand with us in belief that he will raise this little girl back to life. Her time here is not done. And it is our time to believe boldly and with confidence wield what King Jesus paid for. It's time for her to come to life. Special prayer times and worship services were held with everyone rallying around the hope that with a sufficient outpouring of prayer and enough faith, God would, in fact, raise Olive from the dead. One week later, however, with her body still in the morgue and no changes reported, the family finally accepted the reality of her death and began planning her memorial service. What a painful story. And what a terrible thing for a family to have to walk through. And while we can sympathize with their grief and even admire such boldness in approaching God, the unspoken theology lurking behind the surface of that is actually very dangerous. With enough faith, We can strong-arm God into giving us what we want. With enough prayer, we can elicit a miracle from Him, which functionally equates to this. The likelihood of God healing me increases proportionally to how much faith I have. More faith equals a better chance at success, earthly blessings, healing, whatever. So all that we need to do is to have enough faith. Here's my question, though. What does Scripture teach? Do we find it to be weak in faith? Well, let's do a a cursory survey of just a couple of characters and, and see what we find. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says he has something called a thorn in the flesh. Now, he doesn't go on to explain what this is. We don't know. We know that it's some type of pain, some type of suffering that he experienced, this burden that he carried around. And he wanted he wanted it gone, like any of us would, with any sort of suffering. And he, he prayed to God again and again and again. Three times, in fact, he cried out to God. He said, God, take this away from me. Remove it. But each time, God said, no, because... 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God allowed the Apostle Paul, one of the giants of the faith, and really someone that we would look at and say, wow, this guy is kind of a shining example of of faith. He allowed him to continue living with this thorn in the flesh in order that God might show himself strong. He would serve as a powerful witness, as a more powerful witness, unhealed rather than healed. So strong faith then did not result, in this case, in healing. And when we go back even further to the book of Job in the Old Testament, we actually find something similar. In the preface to Job, you'll notice this if you're familiar with his story, we find out that Job did not suffer because of his lack of faith. Actually, it was kind of the opposite. It was because he was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. That's exactly why God allowed him to be tested. You see, Job was by no means weak in faith, and yet God did not immediately alleviate his pain. Again, the strength of his faith did not correspond to earthly healing. Now, let's fast forward again to our text for this morning, the father with the demon-possessed son. Now, there are a lot of words we could use to describe this father, but strong in faith would not be one of them. In fact, he doubts whether Jesus is even capable of healing his boy. If you look closely, he says, if you can, Jesus, if you even can, he sounds anything but hopeful, much less certain. This is not someone strong in faith, but someone weak in the faith. Which is why, of course, Jesus rebukes him. But here's the amazing thing. The father's lack of faith doesn't prevent Jesus from responding to his request. It's not like Jesus says, you know, I'm glad you came to me and everything, but I see here that your faith is pretty weak. Why don't you go home and work on that and come back when you're ready? Maybe when your faith is stronger, I'll heal your boy for you. No, instead he rebukes the evil spirit, reaches out his hand, brings the boy to his feet, Effectively raising him from the dead. And the quantity or the quality of the Father's faith didn't even factor into this decision. So, what does factor in? What is the thing we can always appeal to? That part of God's character that motivates him to respond to our prayers? Well, actually, it's right there in verse 22. The word is compassion, compassion. There are some words that when you hear them, the way that they are pronounced already gives you a good indication of what they mean, right? And that is the case for this, this one. In Greek, the word is splachnitzamai, splachnitzamai. Say that. Try it out. Splachnitzamai. You can tell it's like this deep, guttural kind of thing. And we translate this as compassion, but it's more than just like feeling sorry for someone. It literally means to feel in your most inward parts, in your in your bowels, in your guts, in your kidneys, which were thought to be the seat of love and pity in the ancient world. You see, at the core of his being, God splachnitzamize you. There is love and compassion in his most inward parts toward those whose faith is not as it should be. And here's what that means for us. God responds to our prayers not because of our limited faith but because of his limitless compassion. God responds to our prayers not because of our limited faith but because of his limitless compassion. It's his compassion that drives, it's the engine that drives his loving action toward you and toward me and it's the thing we can always bank on. That God cares deeply for us. And this attitude never fluctuates, not for a moment. But let's shift our attention to another part of this story. Who are the weak in faith? Let's ask that question. Who are the ones that Jesus rebukes in verse 19 when he says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Who is this faithless generation. Who's he talking about here? Well, it's tempting for us as the church to say, well, it's obvious The the unbelieving, the faithless, that's those outside of our church. That's the unbelievers. That's the non-Christians. We are the ones who have faith. They are the ones who do not. They are, we, are, we do not lack. They do. Very close. About insightful. He says, as our faith is never perfect, we are all partly unbelievers. As our faith is never perfect, we are all partly unbelievers. That's not to say or imply that anyone is not a Christian, anyone who believes and professes faith in Christ is not a Christian, but it is to say that this side of heaven, perfect faith, does not exist because we are not perfect. Have you ever prayed for something for a really long time? Maybe years, maybe decades, possibly for physical healing, for a broken relationship to be reconciled, for help to overcome bad habits or struggles. And maybe you too found yourself backsliding, blurting out the words of the Father in this story, help me, Jesus, that is, if you're even able, maybe the years go by and all the evidence seems to indicate that God is not answering your prayers. And you start asking, am I not praying hard enough? Don't I have strong enough faith? Now, when that happens, when you catch yourself uttering or even thinking that one little word, enough, big red flag, bright lights flashing in your brain. Because here's the thing, anytime we use the word enough in the context of our relationship with God, we are that Jesus Christ is enough. Anytime we wonder about whether we have done enough, behaved well enough, been a good enough father, husband, wife, fasted enough, prayed enough, believed enough, anytime we do that, we are fixating on the wrong thing. We're fixating on our faith rather than on the object of our faith, who is Jesus Christ. That's a big distinction. The Formula of Concord, which is one of the confessions of the Lutheran church, written late in the 1500s, so the language maybe needs some updating. But it goes like this. It says, Our worthiness consists not in a greater or lesser weakness or strength of faith, but rather in the merit of Christ. See, our worthiness consists not in a greater or lesser weakness or strength of faith, how strong our faith is, but rather in the merit of Jesus Christ. In other words, our sense of worth, our true identity, comes not from our virtues, but from the virtues of Christ. Psalm 121, which, by the way, is our scripture memory passage for the rest of this year, Who's got it memorized? I see every hand in the auditorium raised. Yep, okay, I won't quiz you. But it it urges us to lift our eyes to the hills. He says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where does God call us to direct our eyes? Up, upward to the hills, to the mountains, right? He doesn't call us to direct our eyes inward at our own hearts. You see, looking inward is the wrong place to look because that's where the problem is. The solution is upward, it's outward, it's Godward. Because only He will never fail us. As Psalm 73, 26 says, My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The father of the demon-possessed boy, confronted with his own failing heart, responds with what is perhaps the most honest confession of faith in the entire Bible. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. New Testament scholar James Edwards summarizes this confession like this. He says, true faith is always aware of how small and inadequate it is. In other words, true faith is always marked by a kind of humility and a constant awareness of how insufficient it is. A guy by the name of Chad Bird, who is an author and speaker for 1517, I had the opportunity to go and hear him speak a couple of weeks ago. He offers this profound insight on this passage. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. He says, this is our table prayer Our bedside prayer, our office prayer, our going to the movies prayer, our 24-7 petition. Lord, I do believe, but I also don't believe. I am a cocktail of contradictions, double-hearted, forked tongue, pulled heavenward and hellward. I fear you, but I also fear failure. I trust you, but I also trust myself. I love you, but I also love the limelight. Lord, I am a saint and a sinner, your bride and the devil's whore. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. But here is the really, really great news. This seemingly pathetic little confession of faith is enough. All God requires of us is a willingness to acknowledge our own inadequacy. Though we may be motivated by what Chad Bird says is a cocktail of contradictions, God is not. His heart is unwavering, full of love and compassion for a lost, broken, wayward world. In fact, He was so dead set on rescuing us that He sent His one and only Son into the world to live and die for us. And what I find especially interesting about this story of the demon-possessed boy is that when Jesus actually takes him by the hand and, and raises him up, this same word that's used here also means to raise from the dead or to resurrect. So it can mean, yes, just to lift someone up who's maybe laying down or they're sick physically, but it has a much deeper depth and breadth than that. It means to raise from the dead, to resurrect. So resurrection, that is how God responds to those who are weak in faith. He not only dies in victory on the cross, but He rises again to new life. Emerging from the empty tomb, defeating death and sickness and disease, and all of the forces of evil once and for all. And he promises that we too will share in this resurrection with the resurrection of our own. And it is then that complete and total healing will occur. But get this, as a believer, your resurrection is so firm and so sure and so certain that you are already participating in it. Right now, did you know that? Listen to this. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And here it is. Why don't you read this with me? Let's read this together. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God has raised us up with Christ Jesus. Past tense. That means it's a completed action. It is something that has already begun. And it is only for those who are weak in faith, in fact, who are dead, who get to experience the power of a resurrection. So back to our million dollar question. If the disciples would have prayed harder and had more faith, could they have healed the boy? And if we have enough faith, will God answer our prayers favorably too? And there's that one little dangerous word again. Enough. If we have enough faith, is our faith strong enough? No, it could always be stronger. Is our prayer fervent enough? No, we could always spend more time on our knees. Are our motives pure enough? No, as Chad Bird says, we are a cocktail of contradictions. So maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the only question we should ever ask is, is Jesus enough? And the answer to that question is pretty clear. Yes. Now, always and forever, Jesus is enough. He alone is sufficient. Because you see, when our devotion wavers, when our devotion to Him wavers, His devotion to us does not. When we are faithless, He is faithful. And when our reserves of compassion dry up, His continue to run over. Without end. So, whatever you're facing today, whatever hopes seem dashed, whatever you're up against, know this God's good fatherly heart overflows with love and compassion toward you. He pursues you relentlessly, and He will not rest until all wrong things have been made right. Amen. Hey, friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor KJ o l h a u g at gmail.com as we wrap up our time together today please receive this benediction may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you may the lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace amen